Hi, welcome to Two Towns Over. This show is made possible by our patrons. If you want to monetarily support the show, we're at patreon.com slash two towns over. If you can't support us financially, then you can support us algorithmically by liking, rating, and sharing. Thanks. Enjoy the show. first few movies of his that got real popular tenacious d and the pick of destiny well that movie actually critically failed they rolled a nat one on the release of pick of destiny it was not until much later that it got a cult following huh yeah well then what were the first ones that became shallow Shallow how school of rock school Uh of rock and Um, what school of rock is really what made him like a household household and then i'm gonna say Tenacious D then, because I remember Tenacious D being popular before School of Rock came out, at least cult-wise. Yeah. I was, uh, like, the kids in my high school, or middle school maybe at the time, I don't remember, but either way, they all fucking loved Jack Black. Yeah. And they knew about the Pick of Destiny. Look at the three characters there. They're all animated in a similar way, but they are very different people. Yeah. And they are all convincing people yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you know what i'm saying like it's wild that people think that jack black is not a good actor no he's an incredibly talented amazing yeah it's similar to jim carrey and like the ace ventura movies Mm -hmm. um what yes man is a big one the mask the mask mask, uh, what's the one i'm bruce almighty uh dumb and dumber bruce almighty no, the the more serious one. Um, it's the name of the guy. Oh, uh, Truman Show. Thank you, the Truman yeah, Show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like those are very different people. Well, then he also did like Eternal Sunshine. Yeah, exactly. So that's just my that's well, just my point. It's the same with Robin Williams. Yes. Yeah. I mean, some people of the think best that... movies had Robin Williams being serious, like Dead Poet Society, and mm-hmm. um... but he was still animated. So people think he's. Only comedic. Right. But the thing is, is that to get that good at comedy, you have to really understand like human psychology and how other people think. Mm -hmm. Like you cannot be funny if the only person you know about is you. Yeah. Because your sense of humor is unique. Well, and so then on kind of the opposite end of the spectrum... I just have to mention this. What's the what's the guy's name from um, Airplane and Naked Gun? Leslie, Leslie Nielsen. Nielsen. Leslie Nielsen. He is one of the funniest fucking people on the screen all the time, and it is because he's not a comic actor. Right. <laughs> it's because everyone else around him knows it's a comedy, and he does not seem to. Yes. Right. All right. Which is another, I agree. That's like... Exactly the opposite end of the spectrum, actually. And it's just as funny, if not often funnier. Yeah. So welcome to Film Talk with Two Towns Over. <laughs> um, no. Uh, welcome to Two Towns Over, everybody. I am Father Donathan. I'm Statler. Okay. I'm Josh, also known as The Clothed Gun. Damn it, you fucked up. You know, <sighs> fucked up the whole rhythm of the show. Now. I guess so. I was yeah. hoping you were going to say my name's Josh, a.k.a. Waldorf. Statler and Waldorf. The Muppets. Oh, no, I was never a Muppet guy. I'm Damn so it. sorry. I thought that Jesus was... Jesus Christ, you've never watched The Muppets. He doesn't see Ghostbusters. Fuck! I saw the cartoon, okay? Calm down. That's That doesn't count. Technically, it does. doesn't really... It's uh, canon, uh, buddy. It's canon. According to Dan Aykroyd, the cartoon was canon. <laughs> and right. he's the one who created the Ghostbusters, so... I'll trust him, then. Or what was the original Ghost... Strokes? Anyway. Yeah, um, Ghost Strokes. No, Statler and Waldorf are... If you've ever seen a Muppet movie, any the of the two them. old men, right? Yeah. The yeah. two dudes who are in like they're the in always. literally yeah. balcony seats at a theater, and they are criti- cr- uh, critics. Basically, they're yeah. two hecklers, Jewish hecklers uh-huh. named Statler and Waldorf. As and I saw some people that were like uh, theory crafting, doing the greatest sin, which would be to remake the Princess Bride. 
I've seen that with the Muppets. With the Muppets. Mm-hmm. And it was like, so instead of the grandpa reading, it would be uh, Statler and Waldorf reading the story together. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the... To what, like Fozzie Bear or something? It'd wh- be stupid. No, what was the name of the, the kid in the bed? What was that actor? Do you remember? Uh, Fred Savage. Fred Savage. Yeah, so it's still just Fred Savage in the bed, but as an adult. But Deadpool's already done that. It, well, we're going to fucking do it again. Do you understand that if one more person does that, that becomes his new role? <laughs> <laughs> one person. I'm so okay with that. And I really and I am too. Is too. <laughs> I am too. That would be so fucking funny to me. Fuck, am I going to watch Princess Bride tonight? Did you ever see the... Are, uh, are, hey, Josh, you guess what? Are we going to watch Princess Bride Are we going to watch Princess Bride tonight? <laughs> because I don't go until three tomorrow. Hey, yo. Did mm-hmm. you ever watch Once Upon a Deadpool? No. The PG-13? No, that's where he tells the story to Fred Savage strapped to the bed. Yeah. yeah. But it's PG-13. Uh-huh. Which really, in some ways, it's actually funnier to me than the second one. Oh, I'm sure. Rated R. Because, like, at one point, because uh, you know Matt Damon's in Deadpool 2. Yeah. 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 Um, Matt Damon. Well, Fred Savage stops and he goes, wait a minute, is that Matt Damon? And he goes, I, and he starts saying something like, I could fight Matt Damon. But Deadpool starts, he has a button to bleep out anytime he cusses. Uh-huh. So he starts, he goes, I could fight Matt Damon, but he bleeps out fight. So I uh-huh. hear his, so he's going, I bet I could F him, you know, f- him real hard. Uh-huh. <laughs> Anyways. I love unnecessary censorship. Mm-hmm. All right. My favorite version of that is on TikTok right now. So sorry. It's this weird, lanky guy. It's the car hand boy. Do you, did, was that you? No. Damn it. Maybe. That might be Ethan. The car hand? No. This guy. Hook hand car door. He does weird sort of surreal content, but like uh. very laid back. And it's, you know, uh, him in a weird situation as two different people. You know how TikTok yeah. works. And he he will cuss and he will bleep out the cusses, but it'll be like, what the fuck bleep do you want, dude? It's like so <laughs> funny to me. It's like he won't he'll or he'll bleep it, but you can still hear him say shit. It's it's so great. All right, everybody. So welcome again. You, you, we're still here. Uh, haven't gone anywhere. Uh, this week, uh, we know last week we promised you yes. uh, the first episode of Ed Gein. No, let me give my personal apology for that because I was fully, like I had planned to get home. And you know, I, y'all I was... should have told me we weren't doing Ed Gein before we did the midweek because I was trying so hard not to think about it. <laughs> No, it's going to be next week because I had I had sent you that text where I was like I'm probably going to I'm going to pull out of the yeah. the fund for uh some research materials cuz I was getting ready to go all out on it and that was like way back at the the beginning of this week. Mm-hmm. And uh that same day uh a whole bunch of shit hit the fan for me all at once and I spent like 3 or 4 days being more stressed out than I ever have in my entire life and now on the opposite end i feel more free than i ever have in my entire life so so what change requires discomfort yes even and especially positive change it very much does so we do try to like split the the subject matter to where we don't talk about you know haunted houses two weeks in a row uh-huh. or serial killers two weeks in a row. But are we going to talk about skin suits two weeks in a row? No. Oh. We are going to talk about possible alien related technology. Ooh. Today we are discussing the Philadelphia experiment. Oh, oh! You went ahead and had this shit on deck, ready to go, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. I. I. God damn it! I told you not to work. I'm glad you did because <laughs> shit got fucked up, and I. It needed this to happen. Otherwise, we would have been fucked for this week. But God damn it, Don. I told you to take a fucking three weeks off while I worked on this. Bro, if you had needed me to write a script about something, I would have... Listen, after fucking Thursday night, I would have been able to write three scripts, bud. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. A girl who was staying at my hotel, mm-hmm. who I found very attractive... Asked for my contact details. Oh. And then we talked for a while. And we were supposed to hang out Saturday, but I was kind of like, not into it at that point. And then she ended up canceling. So that worked out for me. (laughs) But 
in my head, between Thursday and Saturday, I was fucking riding that W, bud. That, I was going to say, <laughs> that's a dubski, buddy. That's a du- it's still a dubski because it gave me, it just reinforced the idea that I need to get the fuck out of Florida because she was from Chicago. So, like, I need to get to Colorado is all I'm saying. Apparently, we're all heading to Colorado now. I'm, I, I fucking I'm trying to tell so. you. I'm trying to tell you. It's the land of the white people that black people don't hate. <laughs> All right, so the Philadelphia experiment was an alleged event claimed to have been witnessed by an ex-merchant mariner named Carl M. Allen at the United States Navy's Pennsylvania or Philadelphia Naval Shipyard in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, sometime around October 28, 1943. I was just going to look at how long we had wasted. Oh, uh, almost 10 minutes. Nice. Um, so Allen described an experiment where the U.S. Navy attempted to make a destroyer escort class ship the USS Eldridge disappear and the bizarre results that followed. So to understand the Philadelphia experiment, we must first delve into the historical backdrop of World War II. During this period, scientific and military advancements were on the rise, prompting various naval experiments. Among these experiments was the development of stealth technology known as Project Rainbow, which was pursued by the United States Navy. Now, Project Rainbow was a name given by the CIA to a research project, project aimed at reducing the radar cross-section of the Lockheed U-2, which was a bomber, mm-hmm. uh, and lowering the chance it would be detected and tracked by Soviet radars during its overflight of the USSR. What year was this? This, this was... was during World War II, so in the early 40s. Okay. Do y'all know my, great, my great-grandfather uh, was one of the first pilots to fly stealth planes? Really? hmm <laughs> He... This was... He was in the transitional period from when you had to like basically cut your engines and glide uh-huh. to he would like test pilot some of the early models of that. You know, the black one with the wide flat wings. Yeah. He was in some of the early test flights of that of that line of uh, rad design. So one of the most infamous World War II inventions was the atomic bomb. So I guess, again, we're topical still. Yeah, although he was also pretty racist. Uh, In August of 1945, the United States launched its first, and so far only, nuclear attack on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, killing an estimated 110 to 210,000 people. While the atomic bomb stands out for its devastating impact, there were many other non-lethal innovations during the war in the fields of medicine and technology that have drastically reshaped the world. Was that the end of the sentence? Yes. People who say war is good for progress only are thinking about the second part of that paragraph. Yeah. Because it is true. During war times, when innovations in war technology, the, the kind that injures and kills people, uh-huh. when advancements in that are being made, it necessitates advancements in medical technology and transport and all these other fields energy consumption because you have to be better at combating your fucking enemy and more people come into the hospital with injuries and fucked up symptoms that you don't know about so you have to study that shit that's why that happens you have to remember why things happen not just that they happen we had that conversation before about the ends justifying the means yeah yep So some of the innovations were based on research or designs predating the war that weren't able to take off until the U.S. or British governments actually funded these projects to help the Allied forces. These included the flu vaccine, penicillin, jet engines, blood plasma transfusions, the start of electronic computers, and radar. That's the secret. We just have to convince our government that the military budget is for education and medicine. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, get on that. It's not going to be that fucking hard, Don. (laughs) To convince them? Yeah, all you got to do is word it right. So the story of the Philadelphia experiment first surfaced in late 1955 when Allen, the guy we talked about 10 minutes ago, um, Carl Allen, the ex-merchant mariner who supposedly saw this happen. Um, the, he, he's the, the, the quote-unquote whistleblower for yeah. the event. Sent a book full of handwritten annotations and a package marked Merry Christ- or Happy Easter. 
wow, I'm reading it, and said Merry Christmas, that referred to the experiment to the U.S. Navy Research Organization and, a little later, a series of letters making further claims to a UFO book writer. Allen's account of the event is widely understood to be a hoax. Several different and sometimes contradictory versions of the alleged experiment have circulated over the years in paranormal literature and popular movies. The U.S. Navy maintains that no such experiment was ever conducted and that the details of the story contradict well-established facts about the USS Eldridge and that the physics the experiment is claimed to be based on are non-existent. So the pack, don't worry, I'm going to tell you what happens eventually. (laughs) So the packet also included a copy of Morris K. Jessup's book, The Case for the UFO, Unidentified Flying Objects. The book was filled with handwritten notes in its margins, written with three different shades of blue ink, appearing to detail a debate among three individuals, only one of whom is given a name, named Jimmy. They commented on Jessup's ideas about the propulsion uh, of flying saucers... (laughs) Ruben and I are just like six-year-olds because you said including the name Jimmy, and we both just found it so funny. <laughs> Especially because it's spelled J-E-M-I. <gasps> yeah. Jimmy. Jimmy. <laughs> Jimmy, get over him. <laughs> uh, and expressed concern that Jessup was too close to discovering no. their technology. That's how a, a, a very hillbilly person might say Jeremiah. Jeremiah! <laughs> So the commenters referred to each other as gypsies and discussed oh, two. Up. Yeah, this was 1950s. Yeah, well, yeah, it and discussed make it better. two different types of people living in outer space. Their texts contain non-standard use of capitalization and punctuation. Um, I'm actually going to push back on that a little bit. It yeah. does a little bit sometimes, because like we discussed with when words go through that social ev- evolution, like. I was gonna say the Romani people referred to themselves as gypsy at that time too, but I don't know if that was one of, that was like a that's our word type of thing or yeah. I think I, it's never been great for the word gypsy specifically. Yeah, but it sometimes it, context like that does matter, uh, especially with languages that involve a lot of contextual meaning, which not written. English doesn't have a lot of implied context when written, mm-hmm. except for, you know, people imply things socially. But, like, the way those implications can change is that's different than what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is languages like Japan, yeah, where it's the same phonetically to say red and red, but, like, in English. But in Japan, it's the same word yeah like to to mean a lot of different things well, so like the thing that turned me off of learning japanese was the word hashi that is bridge and that is chopsticks mm-hmm. and i was like i will never catch on to the different contextual <laughs> cues that have to be present for that word to mean either chopsticks or bridge like the example that i like to use a lot is um the word okama mm-hmm. because okama in ye faithful huh ye faithful no you don't get it or do you no you said okama ye, i said ye faithful oh okama, i get it ye yeah, yeah. okay i now i understand um <laughs> my memory is bad don i'm sorry i haven't been to church in like 15 years um no, that's just a christmas song uh, maybe I guess. Uh, Bad Religion covered it on their Christmas album. So, anyways, Okama. It means it can mean depending on the context. Um, the F slur. Uh, ah, the one that also can mean bundle of sticks if you live in 1930s London. Um, or cigarette if you live in current. Yeah, yeah. Um, it can just mean gay. It can mean crossdresser. Uh, it can mean trans person, specifically a trans man. Um, it can mean a lot of different things. To, it can mean queer. Like, it that one word is the entirety of what, in Japan, they have for, like, a huge swath of what we call the LGBTQ plus community. Where we have 
like lesbians and trans men and trans women and gay people and queers and so on and so forth, non-binary, whatever, like it's just one word in Japan. That's what I, when that's contextual. So like what the fuck I got sidetracked. We were talking about how gypsies. Yeah. That's yeah, kind of what I mean is we got way fucking off. Read the script. <laughs> yeah. But it's, that's just what I mean is like sometimes the context of, of the past works like that. And you have to be conscious of the the nuances of back then. So their texts contain non-standard use of capitalization and punctuation and detailed a lengthy discussion of the merits of various elements of Jessup's assumptions in the book. There were oblique references to the Philadelphia experiment. One commenter reassures his fellow annotators who have highlighted a certain theory which Jessup advanced. Shortly thereafter, in January of 1956... Uh, Alan began sending a series of letters to Jessup using his given name as well as Carlos Miguel Iande. The first letter uh, warned Jessup not to investigate the levitation of unidentified flying objects. What? No. Maybe a tiny bit. Tiny, whatever. tiny bit. Um, listener, you'll just have to deal with it. It's summer in Florida. The bitch is hot. <laughs> and summer in Florida, floor. and we are on a second story. Yeah, and it's fucking hot. <laughs> But so, where did I lose you? When I said uh, he, uh, car, car, yeah, he started sending. Alan letters is to the, which guy? Alan is the guy who said who is said the that first he, person who report the whistleblower. He's the whistleblower. Yeah, and Jessup is is a guy who wrote a book on UFOs. And 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 Carlos Alan, Miguel Ayande. So Alan sent a coded letter. No, well, he just started sending a series of letters to Jessup using his given name as well as Carlos Miguel Ayande. And then you said something about the first letter of each something. No, the first known letter that was sent Oh, warned oh. Jessup not to investigate the levitation of unidentified flying objects. Got it. Okay. So Alan put forward a story of dangerous science based on unpublished theories by Albert Einstein. He further claimed a scientist named Franklin Reno put these theories into practice at the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard in October of 1943. Allen claimed to have witnessed this experiment while serving aboard the SS Andrew Furuseth. What? Furuseth. F-U-R right there. Furuseth. In Allen's account, a destroyer escort was successfully made invisible, but the ship inexplicably teleported to Norfolk, Virginia for several minutes. Oh, I have heard this. And then reappeared in the Philadelphia yard. Yeah. The ship's crew were supposed to have suffered various side effects, including insanity, intangibility, and being frozen in place. What? SCP Pete was among this crew. There you go. (laughs) Not when they left, but when they returned. (laughs) So when Jessup wrote back requesting more information to corroborate his story, Alan said his memory would have to be recovered and referred Jessup to what seems to be a non-existent Philadelphia newspaper article that Alan claimed covered the incident. Now, Hi. Is there no news article? There's no news article. I didn't think no. so. No. I did see, so when I first heard about the Philadelphia experiment, I saw it somewhere that someone was talking about it as if it was real. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I obviously, yeah, like that happens, but I was like young. I, it was one of those, I, I, in the back of my head, Philadelphia experiment, I get that in the Manhattan Project, and there's another one which we'll do eventually called the Montauk Project. Uh-huh. The Manhattan Project was real, that's the atomic bomb? Right, and then the Montauk Project was real, that was where they were trying to, that's basically what um, Stranger Things is based off of. Ah. The, the experiments using ESP and, and yeah. Oh, yeah, that okay. that's what project. those are called? Yeah. Wow, I didn't. I, I knew never that those knew had that. existed. I didn't know mm. that it was the Montauk Project. Mm-hmm. Did not yeah. know that it had a name. Yeah. Wow, we'll have to cover that one day. Huh? I guess it would have a name. We're obsessed yeah. with naming shit. Yeah, and oh, it's always yeah. where it happens. Except MK Ultra. Yeah, that one wasn't called the the, the psychedelic project. Yeah, <laughs> that was a good band. That was the psychedelic project. The psychedelic project. Yeah, that was the Ghost Strokes when they were trying for the. Uh, they were trying to be a, um, a P funk. Uh, it was it was cover the Ghost band. Strokes bassist's first band. Yeah. yeah, he was he was trying to copy George Benson. 
<laughs> That's such a deep pull. Nobody knows who the fuck George Benson is. A, I know who George Benson was. I know you know. Oh. They definitely I don't. Thought, I thought Bootsy Collins was the Bootsy Collins was in was in uh, Parliament Funkadelic. I believe George Benson was also in it. Because George Benson, he's the one who found who like came up with the whole slap bass sound. Yeah, but let's get back to this. Uh, you, while you look that up. Uh, in 1957, Jessup was invited to the Office of Naval Research, where he was shown the annotated copy of his book. Oh, no, maybe not. Jessup noticed that the handwriting of the annotations resembled the letters he had received from Allen. Twelve years later, Allen would say that he had authored all of the annotations in order to, quote, scare the hell out of Jessup. No, George Benson's just in my head because I've been listening to Give Me the Night a lot. Just give me the night? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So two officers at ONR, or the Office of Naval Research, Captain Sidney Sherby and Commander George W. Hoover, took a personal interest in the matter. Hoover later explained that his duties as special projects officer required him to investigate many publications and that he ultimately found nothing of substance to the alleged invisibility experiment. Hoover discussed the annotations with Austin N. Stanton, president of Vero Manufacturing Corporation of Garland, Texas, during meetings about Vero's contract work for ONR. Now, Stanton became so interested that Vero's office began producing mimeographed copies of Jessup's book with the annotations in Allen's letters. First, Mim- mimeographed? What'd I say? Y- that. Mimeographed? Yeah, what is that? George Clinton. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's who I was thinking of. Mimeographed was like the original photocopy. Oh, okay. It's where you like ran it through the little thing. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, these copies came to be known as the, quote, Vero edition. Now, besides noting handwriting of the individual named Jimmy, addressed as such by the others and using blue-violet ink, the anonymous introduction to the Vero edition concludes that there were two other individuals making annotations, a Mr. A, who was identified as Alan by Jessup in blue ink, and Mr. B in blue-green ink. It's Mr. Beast. (laughs) So Jessup tried to publish more books on the subject of UFOs, but was unsuccessful. He lost his publisher and experienced a succession of downturns in his personal life and died by suicide in Florida on April 30th, 1959. Was that, was that, uh, was that air quotes suicide or no actual actual suicide? Okay. So the various book writers who tried to get more information from Carl Allen found his responses elusive or couldn't find him at all. I bet it scared the shit out of him, though. (laughs) (laughs) One reporter from Allen's hometown of New Kensington, Pennsylvania, interviewed his family and was handed a pile of documents and books, all scribbled with Allen's annotations. They described Allen as a, quote, fantastic mind, but also a drifter and a, quote, master leg puller. Ah. Hey, hey, he's a liar. (laughs) No, no, no. This was real. It happened. So in 1965, Vincent Gaddis published a book of Fortiana, which is basically stories about unexplainable events, uh, titled Invisible Horizons, The Mystery of the Sea. Mm -hmm. In it, he recounted the story of the experiment from the Vero annotations. George E. Simpson and Neil R. Berger published a 1978 novel titled Thin Air. In this book, set in the present day, a Naval Investigative Service officer investigates several threads linking wartime invisibility experiments to a conspiracy involving matter transmission technology. Uh, <laughs> you all right? Yeah. <laughs> Large-scale popular- popularization of the story came about in 1979 when author Charles Berlitz, who had written a best-selling book on the Bermuda Triangle, and his co-author, ufologist William L. Moore, published the book The Philadelphia Experiment, Project Invisibility. Jesus fuck. Which purported to be a factual account. Now, the book expanded. Okay. All right. I'm sorry. I have to ask at this point. Why did they link invisibility to teleportation? Well, the, the, the whole thing was is that they were trying to work on basically stealth, invisibility, yeah. and something malfunctioned. They were using alien technology. And something malfunctioned, and instead of turning ah, it invisible, it teleported it. This is why I was confused. Is because I'm perfectly willing to believe, because they're still doing it to this day, definitely. Hey, buddy. Was that a Cardi B song? No. 
It was the music from Grounded. I opened Facebook oh. and a video from a Grounded group started playing. Got it. <laughs> it I sounded, love it when he pays attention. It sounded like a... That, don't Listen, ADHD is more complicated than you give it credit for. Um, I, I also have a lot going on and I needed to check my phone. Yeah, I, I guess I heard it from a distance and it sounded like uh, the beginning of one of Cardi B's ones. Um, I had not realized that they were alien technology-ing, but I would, I would believe that the, the government was working on like a stealth camouflage invisibility right. suit situation or for ships on the water. Cause that shit can work. Yeah. Movie movies do it with mirrors. Yeah. It's not that much harder to do in real life. I was going to say, well, you could pretty easily hide a ship on the water with mirrors. Right. Yeah, you don't even really need mirrors. You need gray paint. Yeah. Like, it's, it's yeah. But we've known that since we built ships, you yeah. know? But I can I would definitely believe that they were working on some high-tech fucking turn it on and off in the daytime type version right. as well, you know? Yeah. So, let me get back. Uh, bah, 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 bah. So, yeah, uh, Moore published the book, the project, uh, the Philadelphia Experiment Project in Visibility, which purported to be a factual account. The book expanded on stories of bizarre happenings, unified field theory by Albert Einstein, and government cover-ups, all based on the Allende slash Allen letters to Jessup. Moore and Berlitz devoted one of the last chapters of the book Project Invisibility to, quote, the force fields of Townsend Brown, namely the experimenter uh, and then U.S. Navy technician Thomas Townsend Brown. Paul LaViolette's 2008 book, Secrets of Anti-Gravity Propulsion, also recounts some mysteries involvement, mysterious involvement of Townsend Brown. Now, the story was adapted into a 1984 time travel film called The Philadelphia Experiment, directed by Stuart Raffle. Though only loosely based on the prior accounts of the, quote, experiment, it served to tra- dramatize the core elements of the original story. In 1989, Alfred Bielek claimed to have been aboard the USS Eldridge during the experiment. Addressing the MUFON conference in 20, or 1999, MUFON is the Mutual UFO Network, uh, Bielek asserted that Raffles' film was largely consistent with the events he claimed to have witnessed in 1943. Bielek would later add details to his claims on radio talk shows, conferences, and the internet. Now, the experiment was allegedly based on an aspect of some unified field theory, a term coined by Albert Einstein to describe a class of potential theories. Now, such theories would aim to describe mathematically and physically the interrelated nature of the forces of electromagnetism and gravity. In other words, uniting their respective fields into a single field. According. Have they done that yet? Not that I'm aware of. Okay. Because I know that there are definitely, like, sections of math that fit for macro or micro space. Yeah. And it's, like, a few of them. Hey, buddy, are you good? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. I had to move my chair forward. That ADAD is a... ADAD. (laughs) (laughs) That's my knockoff Star Wars (laughs) mechanical drone. Attention deficit deficit disorder? Uh Uh-huh. It's what you get when you lose concentration halfway through saying the fucking word. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, but it's a bitch, isn't it? Well, it's... I don't have, like, a... I would have to pull, like, the table, which, this like, it's wheels on carpet, so it's... Do it. Are you good No, I'm good now. I I just... This podcast is powered by Podbean Podcast Hosting. Are you thinking about starting your own podcast or looking for the best home for your podcast? Check out all the amazing features Podbean offers with unlimited bandwidth and storage for an affordable price. That's right, unlimited. Visit www.podbean.com slash unlimited to check it out today. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash unlimited. I don't remember what I was talking about. <laughs> talking about uh, unified field theory. Oh, because there are like a f- like three or four. There's like you know quantum mechanics. Yeah, theoretical physics. The- theoretical physics. Yeah. Then there's um like the like uh what is it? fucking space one the planets 
um, astrophysics. Yeah, astrophysics, and then like um, microphysics or whatever the fuck. Like there is there is physics that work on different levels of size scale that don't work on others right. like the math. So they're try they've always been trying to unify the theory of like how everything works together mathematically and they can't yet. Right. And I don't know if they will ever. I don't know. I mean, I'm not really I don't know that much about physics. So I don't really either. I actually got the book by Stephen Hawking's A Brief History of Time, and I read like two pages of it, and I was like, no, I can't. I mean, even the introduction, I was like, I don't understand what the fuck this man's talking about. Right. You almost like have to have a degree just to be able to read it. And then I actually got a book. It it wasn't, but basically it was Brief History of Time for Dummies. Uh Uh-huh. And even for Dummies, I couldn't understand what the fuck he was talking about. Something about if you're on a train... And you're throwing a ball in the air. The ball is in a different place for somebody who's not on the train because the ball's moving with the train, but it's not. I and... know the theory that you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I hate it. I hate it. I uh-huh. think it's basically talking about obser- uh, observation of momentum from different relative. Um... No, it's a little bit more complicated than that. I can't. It's one of those things where it's like. I've referenced it many times. You know the the levels of understanding? Uh-huh. It's, I don't understand it. I understand it well enough to do it. I understand it well enough to explain it to somebody else. I understand it vaguely, but I definitely could not even begin to explain it to someone else. So, okay. Yeah. So according to some accounts, unspecified researchers thought that some version of this field would enable using large electrical generators to bend light around an object via refraction. Ah, so they were trying to create black holes. I guess. Kinda. Like visual black holes. No, I get it. I know what they're they're trying to gravity light, but to do that, you have to basically have the gravity of a black hole. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So that the object became completely invisible. Now, the Navy regarded this as of military value, and it sponsored the experiment. Another un- unattributed version of the story proposes that researchers were, pe- were preparing magnetic and gravitational measurements of the seafloor to detect anomalies, supposedly based on Einstein's attempts to understand gravity. In this version, they were also, they were also related secret experiments in Nazi Germany to find anti-gravity, allegedly led by SS Obergruppenführer Hans Kammler. I hate ship names. No, this wasn't a ship name. That was a person. That's, that's a that was a Oben Obergruppenführer. It's like a yeah. No, the SS that guy's name. No, yeah, SS is for the for the the Nazis. The Nazi SS. Yeah, yeah. That's not a ship name. No, it's USS for oh. U.S. ships yeah. and SS for USSR ships. Ah. This was Russia, though. Or That's uh, Germany. Germany. No, this is... Allied, at, sh- or, you know, Axis ships. Do you... Let me look it up. No, because it's HMS for British, and they, they all have their own... Uh, I'm looking it up. ...initials in the beginning. He was just part of the Nazi SS. Yeah. I don't... I forget. We said it when we did Himmler. Not Himmler, yeah. Mengele. I what the SS remember. stood for. Sturbenstabensstiebelablablabla. Uh, yeah, something like it's that. It's a German word, but whatever. They're the ones that, like, really killed Jews a lot. Yeah. So there are no reliable, attributable accounts. SS means steamship. But in Nazis, it meant something else. Yes, I understand that. Okay. But they're talking about ships. Not in this case. They were talking about a Nazi German leader. That's the context of this is the Nazi SS. It has it had nothing to do with the ship. Yeah. Okay. I mean, still fuck him for having a shit name. <laughs> that was his title, Obergruppenführer. Yeah, fuck him. <laughs> uh, yeah, so there's no reliable attributable accounts, but in most ac- accounts of the supposed experiment, USS Eldridge was fitted with the required equipment at the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard. 
Testing began in the summer of 1943 and was supposedly successful to a limited extent. One can I'm so sorry. I, my brain's not going to let it go. Can we go back up and read that paragraph again? Yes. Uh, another unattributed version of the story proposes that researchers were preparing magnetic and gravitational measurements of the seafloor to detect anomalies, supposedly based on Einstein's attempt to understand gravity. In this version, they were, there were also related secret experiments in Nazi Germany to find anti-gravity, allegedly led by SS Obergruppenführer Hans Kammler. Got it. Okay. Oof. All right. You switched too fast from <laughs> ships to people, and I got confused. So testing began in the summer of 1943, and it was supposedly successful to a limited extent. One test resulted in Eld the Eldridge being rendered nearly invisible, with some witnesses reporting a greenish fog appearing in its place. Crew members complained of severe nausea afterwards. Also, reportedly, when the ship reappeared, some sailors were embedded in the metal structures of the ship, including one sailor who ended up on a deck level below where he, had, he began and had his hand embedded in the steel hull of the ship, as well as some sailors who went, quote, completely bananas. <laughs> that's, that's the scientific term here. Yes. There is also a claim that the experiment was altered after that point at the request of the Navy, limiting it, limiting it to creating a stealth technology that would render the USS Eldridge invisible to radar. None of the... Was the Eldridge a real ship? Yes. Okay. But we'll get to that's where... A, that's actually a rad name that's for a great ship. ship name. Uh, none of these allegations have been independently substantiated. Now, other versions of the story give the date of the experiment as October 28, 1943. In this version, time, Eldridge did not become invisible, but disappeared from the area and teleported to Norfolk, Virginia, over 200 miles away. Oh, it's Eldridge, not Eldridge. Yeah. Yeah. It is claimed that Eldridge... It's still, like, it's close enough that it's yeah. pretty good. Yeah. It is claimed that the Eldridge sat for some time in view of men aboard the U.S. the SS Andrew Furseth upon... Oh, my God. It is claimed that the Eldridge sat for some time in view of men aboard the ship SS Andrew Furoseth, whereupon Eldridge vanished and then reappeared in Philadelphia at the site it had originally occupied. You can see where you got confused because that was SS. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. Now we're back at the SS. Yeah. See, this is ship. right. This is why I was confused. My brain. I don't. He, I'm not visual, so I'm not seeing it as I'm hearing it. Yeah. So sometimes it gets jumbled. We had talked at one point about getting a fucking projector I've or a big screen been, in here for putting looking, the. You can get one for about forty five dollars. Yeah. So maybe we will, but we'd have to do it over there so you guys could see it. Yeah. So. Just be like this. The whole time. Yeah. That or we could put it like a big sheet right here and do it mm -hmm. a little bit smaller. Yeah. Maybe on a square or something. <laughs> Just enough to where like I can like yeah. look at it when I get confused. So many versions of the tale include descriptions of serious side effects for the crew. Some crew, <clears throat> some crew members were said to have been physically fused to bulkheads while others suffered from mental disorders. Some rematerialized inside out and still others vanished entirely. Now, it is also claimed that the ship's crew may have been subjected to brainwashing to maintain the secrecy of the experiment. Now, the historian Mike Dash notes that many authors who publicized... They, they weren't. No. No. Who publicized the Philadelphia experiment story thought... Or, story after that of Jessup appeared to have... I'm just going to start over. The historian Mike Dash notes that many authors who publicized the Philadelphia experiment story after that... Of, after that story of Jessup, appeared to have conducted little or no research of their own. What? <laughs> Through the late 70s, for example, Allende slash Allen was often described as a mysterious and difficult to locate. But Gorman determined... Yeah, crazy people often do that. Yeah. Gorman determined that Allen's identity... Determined Allen's identity only after a few telephone calls. To be fair, we live in the age where Big Brother is not just real, it's worse than you thought. So, like, maybe... Take a page out of their book. <laughs> so others speculate that much of the key literature emphasizes dramatic embellishment rather than pertinent research. Berlitz's and Moore's account of the story in uh, Project Invisibility claim to include factual information. Bless you. Gesundheit. 
such as transcripts of an interview with a scientist involved in the experiment. But their work has also been criticized for plagiarizing key story elements from the novel Thin Air, which was published a year earlier. (laughs) So, yeah, so they used fictional novels as research. Good. That's L. Ron Hubbard. (laughs) So personnel at the 4th Naval District have suggested that the alleged event was a misunderstanding of routine research during World War II at the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard. Okay. As an avid consumer of written media, specifically like epic fantasy and sometimes sci-fi, not as often, but sometimes, enough to know the tropes pretty well. Like, it's only fun and cool for somebody to find clues in, like, fictional ways in fucking fiction. Nobody's writing short stories to convince you to go out and find the city of gold. Right. Or whatever it is that you think it is. It's no... That's a story that they came up with in their head based on other stories they liked when they were growing up. Like, calm your ass down. (laughs) Um, So personnel at the 4th Naval District have suggested that the alleged event was a misunderstanding. I read that. I'm sorry. One theory is that the foundation for the apocryphal stories arose from degaussing experiments, which have the effect of making a ship undetectable or invisible to magnetic minds. Basically, they... Because yeah, they make it non-magnetic, right? So the ma- the mines that the Nazis were using, which were magnetic, yeah, that's one of the possibilities. I mean, that's cool on its own. That like, is pretty rad. Yeah. So another possible origin of the stories about levitation, teleportation, and effects on human crew might be attributed to experiments with the generating plant of the destroyer USS Timmerman, wherein a higher frequency generator produced corona discharges. Although none of the crew reported suffering any ill effects from that experiment. Mm, maybe not till years later. Yeah. Right. So observers have argued that it is inappropriate to grant credence to an unusual story promoted by one individual in the absence of corroborating evidence. Robert Gorman. Can you say that one sentence again? Um, observers have argued that it is inappropriate to grant credence to an unusual story promoted by one individual in the absence of corroborating evidence. Anyway, put it on a (laughs) t-shirt. Robert Gorman wrote in Fate Magazine in 1980 that Carl Allen, who was said to have corresponded with Jessup, was Carl Meredith Allen of New Kensington, Pennsylvania, who had an established history of psychiatric illness and who may have fabricated the primary history of the experiment as a result of his mental illness. Gorman later realized that Allen was a family friend and a creative and imaginative loner, sending bizarre writings and claims. He later realized that? Yes. So the U.S. Later? Yeah. Okay. Um, The USS Eldridge was not commissioned until August 27th, 1943, and it remained in port in New York City until September of 1943. The October experiment allegedly took place while the ship was on its first shakedown cruise in the Bahamas, although proponents of the story claim that the ship's logs might have been falsified or else still be classified. So what that says is that the ship was actually in the Bahamas in October of 1943 when this Mm -hmm. experiment was supposedly happening. That's what they want you to think. Mm -hmm. The Office of the Naval Research stated in September of 1996, ONR has never conducted investigations on radar invisibility, either in 1943 or at any other time. Pointing out that the ONR was not established until 1946, it denounces the accounts of the Philadelphia experiment as complete science fiction. A reunion of Navy veterans who had served aboard the USS Eldridge told a Philadelphia... Do you think timelines matter to these people? <laughs> uh, told a Philadelphia newspaper in April of 1999 that their ship had never made port in Philadelphia. Further evidence discounting the Philadelphia experiment timeline comes from the USS Eldridge's complete World War II action report, including remarks, the remarks section of the 1943 deck log available on microfilm. Now, researcher Jacques Vallée describes the procedure on board USS Ingstrom, which was docked alongside the Eldridge in 1943. 
The operation involved the generation of a powerful electromagnetic field on board the ship in order to deperm or degauss it. While the, with the goal of rendering the ship undetectable or invisible to magnetically fused undersea mines and torpedoes. Now, this system was invented by a Canadian, Charles F. Goodeve, uh, when he held the rank of commander in the Royal Canadian Naval Volunteer Reserves, and the Royal Navy and other navies used it widely during World War II. Now, British ships of the era often included such degaussing systems built into the upper decks. The conduits are still visible on the deck of the HMS Belfast in London, for example. Degaussing is still used today. However, it has no effect on visible light or radar. Valier uh, speculates that accounts of USS Engstrom's degaussing might have garbled and confab conf yeah, confabulated in subsequent retellings, or been garbled and confabulated. So what does it do? What, the degaussing? Yeah, yeah. It makes the ship where it's not magnetized. Ah, ah. So right, right, magnets right. Don't, aren't attracted to it. So they thought that was alien technology yes. and yeah. assumed that it was a teleportation. Right. Uh -huh, that uh -huh. They could use it for teleportation. Savalier cites the veteran who served on board the USS Engstrom and who suggests it might have traveled from Philadelphia to Norfolk and back again in a single day at a time when merchant, sh merchant ships could not by use of the Chesapeake and Delaware Canal in Chesapeake Bay, which at the time was open only to naval vessels. Now, use of that channel was kept quiet. German submarines had ravaged shipping along the East Coast during Operation Drumbeat, and thus military ships unable to protect themselves were secretly moved via canals to avoid the threat. Now, the same veteran claims that the man that Allen witnessed disappearing at a bar, he claims that when a fight broke out, friendly barmaids whisked him out of the bar before the police arrived because he was underage for drinking. They then covered for him by claiming he had disappeared. So, what I have... So, basically, you're saying these people cherry-picked events that happened to be close enough together uh -huh. to be like, no, it was this. Yep, it was aliens. Aliens did it. Yes, but what if aliens? Uh-huh. So, what I have is the actual official... Imagine Mr. Crocker. Aliens! Aliens! The official statement from the Department of the Navy Office of Naval Research. <clears throat> Over the years, the Navy has received innumerable queries about the so-called Philadelphia Experiment, or project, and the alleged role of the Office of Naval Research in it. The majority of these inquiries are directed to the Office of Naval Research or to the 4th Naval District in Philadelphia. The frequency of these queries predictably intensifies each time the experiment is mentioned by the popular press, often in a science fiction book. The genesis of the Philadelphia Experiment myth dates back to 1955 with the publication of The Case for UFOs by the late Morris K. Jessup. I think what we're about to hear is why don't fucking write a letter. Okay? Yep. This is the our episode is why you don't write a fucking letter, please. <laughs> don't write an email. Don't leave a voice message. Fucking leave them alone. It, they got shit to do, okay? Sometime after the publication of the book, just... Ha sorry. Half the motherfuckers that work at that station are probably 26. Like, they don't even know what the fuck you're talking about, okay? Yeah. <laughs> like... Sometime after the publication of the book, Jessup received correspondence from a Carlos Miguel Allende, that was Carl Allen, who gave his address as RD number one, box 223, New Kensington, PA. In, they just doxed him. Yeah. <laughs> yep. In his correspondence, Allende commented. So did we. Yeah. He's dead now. <laughs> and nobody has an RD number one anymore as their I address. Um, yeah, you can't dox a dead person. Yeah. I guess you can. It's if assuming, you give the exact coordinates of their grave, yeah. yeah. I, I was going to say, assuming Tansler. Anyway, <laughs> shit. In his correspondence, Allende commented on Jessup's book and gave details of an alleged secret naval experiment conducted by the Navy in Philadelphia in 1943. During the experiment, according to Allende, a ship was rendered invisible and teleported to and from Norfolk in a few minutes, with some terrible after-effects for crew members. Supposedly, this incredible feat was accomplished by applying Einstein's unified field theory. Allende claimed that he had witnessed the experiment from another ship and that the incident was reported in a Philadelphia newspaper. The identity of the newspaper has never been established. 
Similarly, the identity of Allende is unknown and no information exists on his present address. In 1956, a copy of Jessup's book was mailed anonymously to O&R. The pages of the book were interspersed with handwritten comments which alleged a knowledge of UFOs, their means of motion, and the culture and ethos of the beings occupying the UFOs, described in pseudoscientific and incoherent terms. Two officers then assigned to O&R took a personal interest in the book and showed it to Jessup. Jessup concluded that the writer of the comments of this book on his book was the same person who had written him about the Philadelphia experiment. <laughs> These two officers personally had the book retyped and arranged for the reprint in typewritten form of 25 copies. The officers and their personal belongings have left O&R many years ago, and O&R does not have a file copy of the annotated book. Personnel, so that's just that's lost media now. Yeah. Personnel at the 4th Naval District believe that the questions surrounding the so-called Philadelphia experiment arise from quite routine research, which occurred during World War II at the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard. Until recently, it was believed that the foundation of the apocryphal stories arose from degaussing experiments, which have, a f have the effect of making a ship undetectable to magnetic mines. Another likely genesis of this bizarre story about levitation, teleportation, and effects on human crew members might be attributed to experiments with the generating plant of a destroyer, the USS Timmerman. In the 1950s, this ship was part of an experiment to test the effects of a small, high-frequency generator providing 1,000 hertz instead of the standard 400. The higher-frequency generator produced corona discharges and other well-known phenomena associated with high-frequency generators. None of the crew suffered effects from the, the experiment. ONR has never conducted any investigations on invisibility, either in 1943 or at any other time. ONR was established in 1946. In view of present scientific knowledge, ONR scientists do not believe that such an experiment could poss be possible, except in the realm of science fiction. And, and that takes us out of our story. That takes us out of our story. There you go. Uh, we got there. Leave us alone, you fucking freaks. Exactly. That's what that letter said. Because yeah, uh -huh. from what I understand, that letter was written in the 1990s. Yeah, uh, they had probably received so many fucking letters yeah. about it at that point. Like, why are you hiding the truth? Uh -huh. And so they were like, okay, the truth is. So, yeah. So we got two alien stories back to back. So, sorry. Less of a... Less of an overall alien story, so yeah, much but as, aliens uh, were involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The and aliens so, made a cameo appearance. Yeah, really. Yeah, there you go. So um, next week, it's skin furniture. Yes, although that probably won't happen until the second week. Mm, we'll see. I it's I would like to get up to. There will certainly be mentions of the contents of Ed Gein's house in episode one. Okay. Kind of like where I hinted to the Grace Bud murder at the beginning of Fish. Yeah, yeah, something like that. I will probably open the story with the police report from when his house was okay. entered. Uh, just because, you know, it's. I like to go ahead and get the... Uh, we're not going to be able to do Ed Gein... I can't wait to talk about the belt made of nipples. <laughs> you had to bring up the nipple belt. The nipple belt, yes. I'm kind of interested in the vulva pull chain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's tr truly sex positive art. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I hate you both. <laughs> it's been a while since we've made you squirm, damn it. I'm not squirming. I just don't like you. <laughs> fair. That's fair. <laughs> So we have a Discord uh, now, an open Discord. We have one for patrons. It's private, although most of them just tend to just go to the public one now. Yeah, it's, we kind of figured that's what would happen. Yeah. But, you know, maybe we'll make private secret announcements in the... Yeah, yeah. like first drop merchandise kind of things. Yeah, it's, they'll get the link to our so OnlyFans well. earlier than anyone else. Yeah, still trying to get those pics of Ruben's feet. They exist. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I will leave a link in the description and, um, also put it on the Facebook page. I don't think we got any more announcements. Uh, mm. we have new patrons, but they're old patrons who just had to re <laughs> yeah. renew their patron. Cause Patreon's apparently kind of weird. Yeah. Patron, Patreon went a little wacky this month. Um, so yeah, I think that's going to wrap it up. 
Short and sweet. It's going to be a boring end of the episode. I don't think we have any nonsense to do. Because we did all the nonsense during the fucking episode. Yeah. Ten minute tangent on language. <laughs> but anyways, so thank you for listening. Fuck cancer. Fuck, Fuck cancer. cancer. Fuck the bitchels. Fuck uh, silly bitchel. Fuck Gary Gitchell. And... Shout out to the plant babies. Shout out to the plant babies. Be good to yourselves. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.